morning, Grace Church. So good to see all of you. You guys are the ones that you didn't change your alarms. You're like, oh, crap. It's, I forgot about daylight savings time. I didn't even know it was happening. Anyway, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here. And uh, my favorite uh, superhero of all time is Batman. Anybody else love Batman? Okay, a couple of you. I heard a yes, sir, up here. Okay, somebody loves Batman. Okay, so... Uh, I, I have been waiting since the Christopher Nolan Batman movies with Christian Bale for another good Batman movie, okay? Ben Affleck, like, loved the guy, Bostonian, but he just didn't do it for me, all right? He just was not, I, I wasn't crazy about him as Batman. So, uh, when the new Batman came out with Robert Pattinson, who some of you might know, be more familiar with his work in Twilight, um, I was, I was actually pretty excited. And so this past week I went, went and saw it with my wife. Uh, I loved it. She fell asleep. Um, so I don't know what that says, but, uh, she fell asleep. I absolutely loved it. And what I loved so much about it was it really focused on Batman as like a detective. Like a lot of times the Batman movies, it's more like the superhero, like he's flying off buildings and, you know, things are blowing up. This one was more like, gritty and focused on Batman as the world's greatest, greatest detective, which is one of his nicknames. That's one of the things he's known, about, uh, known by. And so the whole movie, the Riddler is wreaking havoc on Gotham City. Um, and the Batman is, is trying to figure out like, who is this guy? What is, what is happening? How, what, how, why is he doing what he's doing? And so what the Batman starts to do is, uh, by the way, Batman is also Bruce Wayne. Um, sorry, spoiler alert, but... Um, the Batman starts to go and find these people that are closest to the Riddler. And he says, who is this guy? What, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? What, what's his MO? Like, why, why is he doing these things this way? And, and the reason he goes to those that were closest to the Riddler is because those were the people that knew the Riddler the best. And we're kicking off a new series today called Eyewitness. And we're going to be looking for the next few weeks at the Gospel of Luke. And much like Batman, Luke has done some detective work. He's done some investigating to try to figure out who is this Jesus guy. In fact, in in Luke chapter one, if you guys open up your Bibles, Luke chapter one, there are Bibles on the seat in front of you. You can pull out your Bible app, do whatever you need to do. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. And Luke chapter one, he tells us, he introduces, hey, Here's, here's why I'm writing this. Here's, here's what I'm about. And he says this in Luke chapter one, verses one to four. He says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. And those events are, he's talking about Jesus and his ministry. He's talking about Jesus's time here on earth. He goes on verse two. He says, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So now we have who he's writing to. It's this guy named Theophilus. And he says this, "So, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And we're going to be looking at these eyewitness accounts through the lens of Luke's investigative reporting. And what's so unique about this book is, is it is the most comprehensive of all the gospels. 
the, the vocabulary that's used, the, the diction that Luke uses, it shows us that he was incredibly well-educated. He was in fact a Greek and he's writing to a Greek guy named Theophilus about a Jewish Messiah. And we learn a little bit more about Luke in a, in a book uh, called Colossians. And Colossians was written by a guy named Paul who uh, Luke traveled with Paul um, on his missionary journeys to plant new churches all over Asia, um, all, over, all over like Italy in that area. And Luke, uh, we, we find out that uh, Paul says this in Colossians 4. He says, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends greetings. So we learn that Luke is a doctor. And now all of a sudden it makes a little more sense why he's so detailed, why he, why he takes such good notes, why he's so descriptive in this gospel. And what we also know is Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Acts describes and follows the history of the early church. It gives us a really detailed account of what the church was like when it was just getting off the ground. And a lot of scholars actually look at the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke and Acts as historical texts that they use to support other historical texts because they, they say it's so detailed. It, it gives us such good context and understanding of what was happening in that day. And so Luke was obsessed with the details, just like the Batman is. And he used his skills and his observations and, and the analysis that he had learned from his medical training to thoroughly investigate the stories, the eyewitness accounts that he had heard about Jesus. And his conclusion, after all of this research, is he comes to this, this answer. He says, the good news about Jesus is true. Like all of these stories, like I've done the research. I, I, I compiled all the stories. I sat with these people and after sitting and, and compiling and, and researching and investigating, like this is true. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus did rise from the dead. This is all true. This isn't Luke playing telephone. Maybe some of you grew up playing the game telephone where you'd get in a circle and you'd like whisper a sentence to your friend next to you. And then by the time it made it back to you, it was just some absurd phrase. That is, that is not what Luke is doing here. Luke was sitting down with eyewitnesses and hearing what they saw. Who was Jesus? How, how was he with people? How did he interact? Did he actually perform these miracles? Did he really die and come back to life? And this is the journey that we're going to go on for the next few weeks. Through looking at these eyewitness accounts, the, the hope is that as we wrap this up, you have a better idea and a clearer understanding of who Jesus was after learning about him through the eyes of those that knew him best. And so to start off with the person that absolutely knew him best, we need to go back to Luke chapter one. And today we're going to be looking at Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Luke chapter one, it says this in verses 26 to 30. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. I love this next verse. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And not long after this, Mary goes on to give birth 
but not in normal circumstances. Mary gives birth and then is surrounded by random shepherds and sheep and wise men. And all of a sudden, everything in Mary's life has completely been turned upside down. And this is the first thing we learn from Mary's interaction with Jesus is that Jesus disrupts our lives. Jesus disrupts our lives. When we choose to allow Jesus to be Lord of our life, to follow him, to to lead us, our lives are never going to be the same. I mean, before this moment, Mary is just a regular old teenager that's engaged. That's, that's, I'm sure she's like planning her wedding. She's getting ready. She's excited for this, this new season of life. And the next thing she knows, it's verse 28, and she's confused and disturbed by what's happening. Like she's in shock. She's like, I, I, don't, what is ha- I don't understand any of this. And God's telling her through an angel, like, yeah, I know you're a virgin, but God is going to, through his Holy Spirit and his power, you're going to give birth to my son. And all of a sudden, all of Mary's plans, her wedding, (laughs) everything just goes out the window and Mary's probably in a little bit of panic mode. And then it goes on, I'm sure her birth, uh, Jesus's birth wasn't how she imagined it. She gives birth after there were no rooms in the inn, Mary finds a little cave with her husband, Joseph, and she gives birth and she lays God's son, Jesus, she lays him in a feeding trough surrounded by the animals in the the cave. And then all of these random shepherds show up with their sheep and then wise men show up. And I'm sure that's not what Mary was planning. But what we learn from Mary is that once we let Jesus in, our plans go out the window. He disrupts our lives. To, to go back to the guy I mentioned earlier, his name was Paul. Paul knew all about this. See, Paul originally, his name was Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the early church. In fact, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. And his sole mission and purpose in life was he would track Christians down and he would kill them. That's what he did. Until... Jesus came and disrupted his life. And he met him. Paul is on a journey to a town called Damascus on his way to kill more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, blinds him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment on, Saul's life is changed. That's why his name is changed to Paul. And Paul now starts to plant churches all over the place and create disciples and leaders for those churches and ends up being killed for Jesus in a Roman prison. That's what happens when Jesus disrupts our lives. And Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says this in the book of Romans, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what happens when Jesus disrupts our lives. There there are things that we want to do. And all of a sudden we're saying no to those things. And we're allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and renew our thinking. Paul goes on to, as he writes to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians, he says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes be disruptible. You might think you need to be this, but when you allow Jesus into your life, he might show you, actually, I want you over here. I want you to go the opposite direction. 
Be disruptible. And this was Jesus' whole purpose in coming. He came to be a disruption. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But me fulfilling it might look a little different than what you thought. And that's a scary thought. That Jesus can be a disruption in our lives because we like comfort. We're human beings. I was just, I heard a, a stat, uh, I, I listened to Colin Cowherd, um, and he was talking about how most people, that's a podcast, by the way, he was, he was talking about how most people, it's about 60%, never actually leave the county that they were born in. 60% of Americans. Why? Because it's comfortable. Because you know your town. Because you know the locals. Because you know, you know your, your spot is good days down the road, and you don't ever want to leave good days. Right? Maybe you do. Maybe some of you are like, that's not my spot, all right? That's heresy, right? Some of you, that's, that might not be your thing, but we like comfort. We like stability. And what Mary is learning very quickly is that as soon as Jesus enters our lives, stability can kind of be off the table. Our plans can kind of go out the window. And Mary has given birth and everything seems to be changing. And then all of a sudden, it starts to make a little more sense. In Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. And while they're there, they end up having an interaction with a prophet named Simeon. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 28 to 35, we see this interaction. And it says this, Simeon was there and he took the child, Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation. Simeon's been waiting his whole life to see the Messiah, to see the Savior. And now he's holding God's one and only son in his arms. He says, I can die now. Verse 30, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people in Israel. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, I want you to imagine this situation here at Grace Church, like you walk in one Sunday with an infant and all of a sudden some old dude with a beard and gray hair like takes the baby from your arms and says, yes, this baby. Many people will oppose this baby. Many people will rise and fall because of this baby. Like all of a sudden your life is a complete, completely disrupted. Mary has two choices. One, she can completely reject what Simeon is saying and say, nope, I don't, get away from me. Or two, Mary can allow her plans to be disrupted. And what we find is that Mary chose the latter. In Luke chapter one, she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary has realized that her son is not just here to disrupt her life. Her son is, is, has come to transform hearts. And that's, that's the second thing we learn about Jesus through, through Mary's eyewitness account. Jesus came to transform hearts. 
And there are a couple stories in the, in the Gospel of Luke where, where Mary witnesses this, witnesses this. And the first one is in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. So just a little further down, right after the Simeon interaction, it says this, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, don't forget, he's only 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. Three days later, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? It took them three days to find Jesus. Now, parents in the room, your heart's beating faster right now. Your kid disappears for three minutes and you're calling the cops. You're like, I don't know where they are. Three days they couldn't find Jesus. And not only that, when they do show up and they find him, he's sitting in the temple and what's happening? 12 years old, Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's teaching the religious leaders, 60, 70-year-old men, that this is their specialty. This is what they've been trained for their entire lives. And here is a 12-year-old boy sitting there and asking questions and teaching them. And it says that his answers and his wisdom astounded them. 12 years old. That would be like if I went over to Clubhouse 3 and 4 right now, grabbed one of our fifth grade boys and brought him in and said, good luck, he's teaching this morning. That's, that's what's happening. And so Mary speaks to Jesus. And, and again, I want to read this again. She says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Verse 49, but why did you need to search? Jesus asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then they returned to Nazareth with them. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all of his people. At 12 years old, Jesus has already started to transform hearts. 12 years old. He's already begun to plant seeds with those around him. He's, people are already starting to see there's something different about this kid. And Jesus was letting his mother know in that moment, Mom, don't, I have a mission. I, I, have a, I have a purpose. Like you were wondering where I was. Well, of course this is where I am. Don't forget about the people's lives that I'm here to, to help transform. And, and it says his mother, Mary, she stored all of these things up in her heart. She's starting to understand what Simeon was saying when he said, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to rise and fall. And he is a sign sent from God and many are going to oppose him. And uh, deepest heart, deepest thoughts and hearts are going to be revealed. And a sword is going to pierce your very soul. And Mary's starting to understand this a little more. And then we go to Luke chapter 8. Just a few chapters over, if you turn there with me. Luke chapter 8, 
verses 19 and 21. And this is the next interaction we have between Mary and Jesus. As told by Luke, after sitting with her as an eyewitness, it says this in chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. Jesus has been teaching, and he's actually been teaching in this little house, and the crowds have come and surrounded the house. And that's what Mary shows up to. And it says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. So Mary shows up. She's like, I can't see my son. She probably tells somebody and they pass the message on along to Jesus, right? Mary's probably assuming, this is great. Crowd's going to part. I'm going to walk right in and see my son. This is going to be awesome. Jesus replied, after hearing this, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Completely disregards his mom standing outside and like all of these people that are listening and doing God's word, these are my mother and brothers. This is my family. Now, mom's in the room. I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Some of you would have been like, oh, Jesus get your butt out here, right? Like, you're you're not playing with that. You're like, I'll show you your family. Okay, let me. Mary had that option, but but Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, this is my family. Those that hear God's word and do it. Jesus isn't saying that Mary and his brothers aren't his actual family. Jesus is is drawing people into a deeper understanding of what family is. He's saying, listen, those that choose to follow me and obey what I'm saying We become family. You become brothers and sisters because of me. You're grafted into God's family. Now, does that make it any easier on Mary? No, of course not. I'm sure Mary is standing there and it hurts. This is her son. She just just wanted to spend some time with her son. But as I was was kind of processing this this week and thinking through this, I, I started to think about what Mary was witnessing in that moment. And she's looking around and she sees the crowds. And in the, in the crowds, she sees people that are hurting. And she sees people that are lost and she sees orphans and she sees widows and she sees cripples and she sees blind people and she sees deaf people and she sees all of these people that are just looking for a glimpse of her son. She sees all of these people that are allowing Jesus to disrupt their lives and everything that they had going on because they just want a glimpse of him. They just want to hear a few of the words that he's sharing. They want to see the way that he's loving with their own eyes. They want to hear with the authority that he's teaching. They've they've seen people healed. They just want a little bit of that. And all of a sudden, now Mary is seeing these disruptions as blessings. Mary is now seeing that Jesus, yes, he came and, and it's been a little inconvenient. And yes, he's disrupted my life. And yes, he's disrupting all of their lives. But look at how he's blessing them. Look at how their lives and their hearts are being transformed. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're saying, Brandon, I don't know if I want Jesus to disrupt my life. I'm actually pretty comfortable right now. And I want to tell you why you want Jesus to come and disrupt it. Because he can offer you more. 
He can offer you more than your career can offer you. He can offer you more than accumulating more stuff. He can offer you more than relationships and sex can offer you. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is Jesus is not saying, I came to make you rich. He says, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life so that you will feel fulfilled. I can offer you purpose and hope and and peace in times of chaos and uncertainty. When your life is on fire all around you, I will stand with you in that fire. When the road seems really hard to travel, I will walk with you down that road. When you feel like you can't keep going, that, that everything is just crashing in around you like the people in the crowds felt, they just wanted a glimpse of him because they're like, there's nothing good in my life. I just need a glimpse of this guy named Jesus so I can find some hope. Jesus gives them that hope. That is why we want him to disrupt our lives. And beyond that, what I love about this situation is Jesus invites us into a new family. Jesus invites us into a new family. The same way he invited the crowds into his family. This morning, he is inviting you into his family. All you have to do is say yes and choose to follow him. So now we've heard a little bit about the eyewitness account of Mary and what she witnessed. So how do we respond? What what should we do? After hearing how Mary's interactions with Jesus went, what should we do? Well, the first thing is we need to allow Jesus to disrupt our lives. Before I talk about what that looks like, I want to share what it looks like when we're not disruptable when we don't allow Jesus to come in and disrupt our lives. I think our lives look a little bit like this. God, I will happily give you an hour on Sunday morning. I will. I'll I'll build it into my schedule. I will give you your hour on Sunday. But the rest of the week and the weekend is mine. I don't care what comes up, God. You had your hour. The rest is mine. Yeah, I know my neighbor's going through a really hard time right now that we just talked and I know it's been really hard on their family, but God, I, I just got to have deadlines this week and my, my kids need to be at school and they have sports and I, I know you're, I feel like you're prompting me to bring them a meal, but like, I just can't. I'm too busy. God, I got too much going on. And somebody else will take care of it. Isn't that the church's job actually? The church, why, why isn't Brandon feeding my neighbor? Somebody at the church should go and feed my neighbor. God, listen, I'm more than happy to give you some money. I'm more than happy at the end of the month, when the basket comes by, whatever I have in my wallet that day or my purse that day, I'll throw it in. And God, listen, some, week, some, some months it's going to be more. Some months it's going to be less. But what matters to me is I just need to take care of my needs and my wants first. And I'll give you whatever's left over. God, I know my boss is asking me to do things that go directly against what your word says. But God, if I do it, I get a promotion. I get, I get more pay. I get promoted. I get bumped up. Like, I'm just this one time. I'm just going to sacrifice what you want for what I want. Just this one time. Just compromise with me. That's what a life sounds like where I am first and God is second where I'm undisruptible. 
Now, what does this sound like to be disruptible? It's a life that knows that everything that we have comes from God in the first place. It's a life that understands that God wants our first fruits when it comes to our finances, not our leftovers. It's a life that is committed to loving God and loving others no matter what the cost is for us. It's a life that is flexible and holds plans in a very loose grip. It's a life that is humble and submitted to the direction Jesus moves us in. And so my question to you this morning is, which one are you? Are you disruptable this morning? Or is it you first and God second? Second way we respond is we yield to the authority of Jesus. Remember Mary in the temple with Jesus. Mary at that moment recognized that Jesus had important things in his life he had to fulfill. He had to accomplish. And she wasn't going to always understand those things. But it says that she stored all of these things up in her heart. And there are going to be times in your life where where what Jesus says is not going to match up with what you want. In fact, if you just keep reading through the book of Luke, there are a few different times where this happens. Luke chapter six, Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do not judge others. That does not sound like the way I want to live. That doesn't sound like what I want. Luke chapter nine, Jesus says, whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, don't worry about your everyday life. Life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. In fact, sell your possessions and give to those that are in need. When we choose to follow Jesus, we yield to his authority in our life and say, God, it's it's about what you want. And it's not going to be easy. But as we continue to give Jesus more authority in our life, the same way that Mary did, the same way that Mary recognized, even in the crowds, Jesus has a task. Jesus has a mission. She started to build a foundation that was unshakable, a foundation that was built on rock, that when a storm came, it wasn't going to be easily shaken. Now, the third way we respond to him, and and the third way we can respond, is we have to share Jesus with the crowds. We've got to share Jesus with the crowds. Mary, Mary's looking around and she's seeing the crowds of people surrounding Jesus and, and she could have pulled the mom card, right? Mary in that moment, mom's in the room. You know you've pulled the mom card before. Mary could have said, uh, get out of my way. That's my son. Uh, step aside, please. I, I know what, I know, I know this guy. This is my son. I need to be with him right now. But instead, Mary unselfishly allows the crowd to stay in between her and Jesus so they can hear what he has for them. Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I came not for those that are healthy. I came for those that are sick. And if I can tell you one thing I want about Grace Church in West Bridgewater to be known for, it's that we are a church for sick people. Yes, we want healthy people to to grow and to walk out these doors. But man, I want these these seats every Sunday and throughout our week to be filled with people that are sick, that are struggling, that are hurting, that are addicted, that that are lost, that are reeling from a financial woe, whatever it might be. I want this church because that's the church that God has designed. 
We had a movie night here last night. If you're picking up popcorn or Skittles off your feet or you see a Coke stain on the floor, that's because we had over 100 families from the community here last, not 100 families, that would be nuts, 100 people from the community here last night watching a movie together, hanging out together. And I can't tell you how many conversations I heard from different volunteers that they were having with these people that they're like, this is a church? Jesus is not meant for us to be selfish and hold on to him and not share. Jesus is meant to be shared with those around us. That's why as a church we're outwardly focused. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be learning a lot about who Jesus was and who Jesus is through the eyes of those that knew him best. And I'm just going to challenge you. If there's a person that comes to your mind right now where you're like, man, I want this person to know Jesus. I want to just ask, why are they not here right now? And over the next few weeks, you're going to have some great opportunities to invite your friends, especially on Easter. Easter is, is, is uh, the number one time to invite your friends outside of Christmas. So think about who is that person. Start planting those seeds now because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to disrupt our lives and transform hearts. He's inviting us into his family. And so today, let's allow him a little more space in our lives to be shared with others and to transform our hearts. Let's pray together.